Section 12 of The Diary of a Country Parson by James Woodford. Read by John Greenman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 1770. January 11th. I dined, spent the afternoon and part of the evening at Mr. Creed's, and there saw the King's last speech, which he spoke in Parliament last Tuesday, which is not at all satisfactory. The King's speech on opening the session of Parliament on January 9, 1770, began as follows. Note, Parliamentary History, Volume 16, pages 642 through 644. My lords and gentlemen, it is with much concern that I find myself obliged to open the session of Parliament with acquainting you that the distemper among the horned cattle has lately broke out in this kingdom, notwithstanding every precaution that could be used for preventing the infection from foreign parts. After this curious and indeed ridiculous opening, the king proceeded to state that it has always been my fixed purpose to preserve the general tranquillity, maintaining at the same time the dignity and honor of my crown, together with the just rights and interest of my people. He passed on to observe on the state of my government in America, where many persons have embarked in measures highly unwarrantable and calculated to destroy the commercial connection between them and the mother country. He concluded with a brief exhortation to the House of Commons to grant any necessary supplies and to cultivate that spirit of harmony which becomes those who have but one common object in view. Not a word did he utter on the burning question of the day, liberty of election, though Lord Chatham was not slow to pound the government thereon. He cannot wonder that our diarist, as an ardent supporter of Wilkes and constitutional liberty, was disgusted, and that his disgust was widely shared is proved by the fact that the session came to be mockingly nicknamed the Horned Cattle Session. January 14th. Mrs. Melius sent a note to my sister Jane this afternoon to desire her and my brother John to spend the evening with her tomorrow. Note very rude, written in margin. Brother Hyes and myself were both accepted out of it. January 19th, I dined upon a roasted pig and spent the afternoon at Mr. Creed's with him and his father. It was very kind of him to send to me. To Mr. Creed's servant maids, Sarah and Unity gave two shillings. January 22nd, for a summons warrant against Robert Biggin and his brother Nathaniel, for shrouding an ash-tree of my sister Jane Woodford's last Thursday night, to appear before the Justice next Friday at two afternoon, paid sixpence. January 23rd. I sent the summons warrant this afternoon by William Corp to the tithing man, Thomas Taylor, and it was served this evening. January 24th. I was sent for, just at dinner-time, to Sutton, about a mile of, to go and read prayers by a poor young woman, Sally Bond, that was, and who married Farmer Whittick of Sutton, being very ill ever since she laid in, and now more likely to die than live. She was quite light-headed, and therefore very melancholy to behold. 
I also privately named her infant by name Sarah. January 26th, at two o'clock this afternoon I went up to Justice Creed's and heard my wood-stealers examined before the justice. Robert Biggin was found guilty and his brother Nathaniel was acquitted, therefore Robert was ordered to pay me six shillings by the ninth of February. If he does not, he is to be whipped from Carry Cross to Ansford Inn. February 12th. I went to Mr. William Melliers and Mr. Creed's and Mr. Clark's to desire all three of them to drink a dish of coffee with me this afternoon at Lower House, and if possible to reconcile all animosities in Carry, and to stop and put an end to all lawsuits not subsisting. It was agreeable to all parties for Mr. Creed and Mr. Mellier to settle all matters and to make peace. Mr. Creed and Mr. Mellier agreed to meet each other this afternoon at my house. I dined and spent part of the afternoon at Mr. Creed's with him and his father, and after the justice took a walk with me to my house and drank a dish of coffee with me, Mr. William Mellier and Dr. Clark also drank a dish of coffee with me, and after coffee we talked over the parish affairs. After much altercation it was settled for peace. The terms were these as underwritten. That all prosecutions between the contending parties in the parish of Castle Carry, and all animosities between the house of Creed and Mellier, should from that time cease, and be buried in the gulf of oblivion. After the above, numerous technical details of settlement of prosecution costs, etc., etc., was agreed to by all four, and Mr. Mellier had made a memorandum of it in writing, Mr. Creed and Mr. Mellier hobbed and nobbed in a glass of wine, and drank success to peace. Jack came home a little merry this evening, and he laid me a wager of one guinea that he would not from this night get drunk all the year 1770, that is, as not to be able to tread a scratch. February 13th. To a wager with Brother Hyes that he could not walk the scratch this night at ten o'clock lost sixpence. February 28th. I buried poor Thomas Barnes this afternoon. He had been a long time killing himself by liquor, at Carry, aged forty-eight. A great many people attended him to his grave. He was, I believe, no man's enemy, but to himself a great one. March 8th. Very unsuspected news from Miss Rook from Somerton this evening. April 18th. I dined at old Mr. William Burge's, being the day of Mr. Wilkes' enlargement, and spent the afternoon and former part of the evening there with old Mr. William Burge, etc., etc. Carrie bells ring all day upon the occasion, two British flags also displayed, one at Carrie Cross and another on Carrie Tower, a hogshead of cider given to the populace at the Cross. Many loyal toasts and worthy men drank upon the occasion, and Mr. Burge's house handsomely illuminated in the evening. The flag on the tower had on it liberty and property. The small one had on it Mr. Wilkes' head and liberty. Everything was conducted with great decorum and broke up in good time. We had for dinner, apparently for fifteen people, a boiled rump beef, forty-five pound weight of ham, a half a dozen fowls, a roasted saddle of mutton, two very rich puddings, and a good salad with a fine cucumber. 
See pages 91 and 92 preceding. On May 10th he notes the death of old Mrs. Gapper, at the age of 84, mother of the parson, whom he buries at Yarlington on May 16th, receiving a black silk hat-band and a pair of gloves. May 19th, something very agreeable, and with which I was greatly pleased, happened this evening. It gave me much secret pleasure and satisfaction. The diarist does not anywhere reveal what this was. May 26th, Brother John spent his evening at Carrie, came home merry, and kept me up very late and also made me very uneasy. Brother Hyes was also quite happy again this evening. It is at present a very disagreeable way of living for me. Between May 14th and June 6th, Carrie enjoyed the presence of a theatrical company who acted in the courthouse and attracted large audiences. Amongst the plays performed were The Beggar's Opera, Hamlet, Richard III, and various other plays and entertainments, including one called Cronanhotonthologos. June 7th. Mr. Hindley, Mr. Hayes, the Justice, and myself drank coffee this afternoon with Mrs. Mellier and Mr. William Melliers, with the Countess of Ilchester, Councillor Mellier, etc., etc. June 9th. Mr. Browning, one of the players who came this morning to cut my brother John's hair, being a tonsor, Mr. John Perry of Hatspen, who came to buy the heifers of Jack, and Mr. Perry Landford of Ansford Inn, all breakfast with me this morning at L House on tea. Note, a luxury being very expensive. June 27th. This very day I am thirty years of age. Lord, make me truly thankful for thy great goodness as on this day showed me by bringing me into this world and for preserving me to this day from the many and great dangers which frail mortality is every day exposed to grant me o lord the continuance of thy divine goodness to me that thy holy spirit may direct me in all my doings and that the remaining part of my days may be more spent to thy honor and glory than those already passed. July 4th. After breakfast, walked up to Justice Creed's, and about eight o'clock went with the Justice in his chair to Horsington, and made Mr. and Mrs. Spencer there a morning visit, who were both at home with their two sons and five daughters. The two eldest Miss Spencers are very fine young ladies, about fifteen years old. The eldest entertained us upon the guitar, and sang charmingly with it. Mr. Spencer has a noble house, and everything in the neatest manner. July 12th. Took a walk in the evening with Sister Clark, Jenny Clark, Sam Clark, Nancy Clark, Sister Jane, and Brother Hyes. I gave them all a peep through my fine spying glass to see King Alfred's Tower, now erecting by Mr. Hoare on the very highest part of King Settle Hill, about seven miles off. July 15th. I read prayers and preached at Cary Church, and whilst I was preaching, one Thomas Speed of Galhampton came into the church quite drunk and crazy and made a noise in the church, called the singers a pack of whores-birds, and gave me a nod or two in the pulpit. The constable Roger Cole, Sr., took him into custody after, and will have him before a magistrate tomorrow. August 1st. I dined and spent the afternoon at Justice Creed's with him, his father, Lord and Lady Paulette, and their two sons, Lord Hinton and Master Vere Paulette, 
who are both going to Twyford School in Buckinghamshire, kept by Mr. Cleaver. Lord and Lady and Sons are very affable, good-natured people. August 28th. For Pope's Works, ten volumes of Brother High's this evening, I gave him, and they were second-hand and third, one pound one shilling. September 5th. The Duke and Duchess of Beaufort, in a coach and six, went through the parish this afternoon in their road to Weymouth. Parson Penny, their chaplain, was with them and went with them. On September 9th he notes that he goes with his sister Jane in their father's chaise to drink coffee with Justice Creed, the diarist being dressed in my gown and cassock. It was Sunday. October 4th. The Duke and Duchess of Beaufort and children whom Mr. Penny is with most part of his time are all to sleep at Ansford Inn tonight, it being their road from Weymouth to Badminton. October 12th. Mrs. Carr, Miss Chambers, Mr. Hindley, Mr. Carr, and Sister Jane dined, supped, and spent the evening with me, and we were very merry. I gave them for dinner a dish of fine tench, which I caught out of my brother's pond in Pond Close this morning, ham and three fowls boiled, a plum pudding, a couple of ducks roasted, a roasted neck of pork, a plum tart, and an apple tart, pears, apples, and nuts after dinner, white wine and red, beer and cider, coffee and tea in the evening at six o'clock, hashed fowl and duck and eggs and potatoes etc for supper we did not dine till four o'clock nor supped till ten mr rice a welshman who is lately come to carry and plays very well on the triple harp played to us after coffee for an hour or two the company did not go away till near twelve o'clock my father's maid betty dressed my dinner etc with my people the dinner and supper were extremely well done and well settled. On October 23rd he and his brothers take a party to a dance at Ansford Inn, the music being Mr. Rice's harp. My partner was the eldest Miss Frances. She dances but poorly and says but little. However, they spent a very agreeable afternoon and evening, and did not return home till near two o'clock. On December 27th he gave his usual Christmas dinner to some poor parishioners to dine with me, and gave them his usual shilling and a sixpenny loaf apiece. His father is now far from well, and on December 30th he administers the sacrament to him at the parsonage, as he is not well enough to go to church. End of section 12, 1770